Okay, so we have made it through the parables. We talked about the parables a lot, and now we are uh, going to look at a topic that people ask me about all the time privately, and so we're going to just take a few weeks to talk about heaven because it's something that interests folks, and so that's where we're going to be. Maybe four, four or five weeks we're going to talk about heaven. Now, if you were going to go to my hometown, Danville, Kentucky, it was recently named the most charming small city in Kentucky. That's awesome. Let me tell you what you're going to want to see if you go to Danville. We have two blocks of downtown Danville. You're going to want to see that. That'll take you 30 seconds. All right. Then on Main Street of Danville, there's a little bakery called Burke's Bakery. It's great. It's been there over 100 years. Uh, you don't drive through Burke's Bakery. You have to park on the street and then walk in and there are display cases, and they have everything. Uh, spice bar cookies are my favorite. They also have gingerbread men, which are great, but also pies and cakes and breads and such. Burke's Bakery. You don't want to miss Burke's Bakery. Now, if you go in June, early June every year, there is a brass band festival. I have personally never attended, but they say it's great. People from all over the world come to this thing, I could care less. But uh, they love it, and people that go to it think it's great. Uh, Center College is there, they blow glass like this. And it is amazing, and you can go and kind of watch, and it's really, really, it's hot in there, but it's a cool place to go. Now, around Danville, near Danville, there's a place called Shaker Village. Have you ever heard of the Shakers? They make furniture, or at least they did. Uh, they were an odd group of people who had some odd beliefs about uh, reproduction. I'll leave it there. And uh, so they died out, and, um, but they had a village near Danville, and it's now a historic place, and you can go, and you can spend the night there, and you can eat there, and Shaker Village is really cool. And then there's Perryville Battlefield, kind of another direction. That's one of the largest uh, Civil War uh, battles that were, was fought. I think it was the largest one in Kentucky. And so that uh, is interesting. And then you can visit the uh, boyhood home of Danville's most famous son, me. Uh, <laughs> looks like that. So Now... If you're going to go to a place, you want information from an insider. <laughs> in fact, just this morning, I had a couple of say, hey, do you know a church in this area? And so now I'm going to think about that, and I'm going to, I'm going to contact somebody that's an insider to give me the information so that I'll know what to tell them. So we do it all the time. You get on Facebook, and you'll see stuff like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Myrtle Beach. Where do I want to eat? Or I'm going to Charleston. Where do I want to stay? I'm going to Columbia, where do I want to avoid? You know, uh, uh, what area do I not want to be in? Uh, so we, we understand this intuitively. If we're going to go to a place, we'd like some insider information. Now, when it comes to heaven, we have insider information. So that's what we're going to talk about the next few weeks. So today we're going to talk about planning the trip of a lifetime. And next week we're going to talk about what, you know, how do you get to heaven. Uh, the next week we're going to talk about, you know, what, what do you do in heaven, that kind of thing. Next week is one you might not want to miss because lots of people have questions about what happens when you die. And so I'm going to tell you, hey, this, according to Scripture, this is what the Bible says happens to you when you die. We get a lot of notions around this stuff from movies and books and 
you know, even your favorite Christmas movie about the little um, um, wonderful life and this guy's supposed to get his wings and that just isn't biblical and I know you love the movie, but it's heresy. And so uh, we're going to talk about all these things. We're going to answer questions like, do, uh, do babies go to heaven? Do, do I become an angel when I go to heaven? Um, uh, are we going to be married in heaven? Is there a stairway to heaven? So we're going to talk about all these things. Really important. There's a lot of songs about heaven. You ever notice that? Guns and Roses. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knock. Yay, yay. I like that one. Uh, Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine. That one's sweet. I like that. Uh, you two sang Where the Streets Have No Names. That, that's uh, Streets Have No Name. Uh, Belinda Carlisle said that um, heaven in heaven love comes first. We'll make heaven a... Oh, only Scott. Thank you, Scott. Maybe it was the way I delivered it. It could be me. And sadly, Eric Clapton wrote a, a, a Grammy-winning song called Tears in Heaven after his uh, five-year-old son tragically died. And, and he asks this question. I think it's a great question in the song. Will you know my name? People ask these questions like... Will we know people? Do we have name tags? I mean, you know, uh, uh, does Moses have a big shirt that says Moses? Uh, you know, I, or, or like a jersey, it's on his back. Hey, that's Moses. Turn around, I don't know who you are. Um, so we're hopefully going to answer some of these questions. Now in the Bible, the Bible talks about heaven and it mentions the word heaven or something like it 600 times. So we're going to look at a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 11 because it kind of will help us launch into uh, what does the Bible say about heaven. If there are 600 verses and there are other allusions to heaven, then we ought to be able to at least glean some information, have a good working understanding of what heaven is like. Now, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, by the way, Hebrews 11, uh, people who know the Bible call it the, like the Hall of Fame of Faith. These are, it lists a bunch of people who had great faith. And about them, it kind of launches into talking about these people. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is being sure of what we do not see. That is what the people long ago were praised for. And then they give a list of people that they are praising. And they praise a guy named Abel and Enoch and Noah, and then they kind of focus on, the author focuses on Abraham. And by the way, um, Hebrews is one of the books in the Bible, I think one of the only books in the Bible, the authorship is um, really kind of unknown. Uh, Paul, when he wrote a letter, Paul wrote much of the New Testament, but he would sign his name to it. Hebrews isn't like that. It's interesting. Um, people think Paul wrote it. Most people, most scholars, eh, maybe not that's true, uh, many scholars believe that Paul wrote it. Some believe it was um, Apollos, who is not Apollos Creed. Uh, that's somebody else. Uh, he was in a movie, not the same person. Apollos is in the, in the Bible. Uh, some people believe that Priscilla perhaps wrote it, and because she was a woman, she didn't sign it, so it would have more authority. Super interesting stuff. It doesn't change the fact that it's inspired by God and that it's important, but the author of Hebrews says that faith is the key to experiencing God and all that He has for us. And then he lists these people who had or she, uh, the author, lists these people who had great faith. 
and Moses gets a lot of play, and there's Joseph. And then about these people, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things God had promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a long way off. They knew about heaven. They'd heard about heaven. They just hadn't seen heaven. They longed for a better country. They wanted a heavenly one, so God has prepared a city for them. We're going to come back to that text in a bit. Pew Research found that 74% of Americans believe in heaven. 54% believe that you work your way to heaven. Kenny Chesney said everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. So, it's almost as if we have like a little superstition around heaven. We don't want to talk about it because we're afraid God will overhear and think we want to go now. And so, we just sort of don't talk about it. Which is odd because it is going to happen. Can you imagine a woman is pregnant, but she doesn't want to talk about what it's like to have a baby? It doesn't make any sense. That is inevitable. We ought to talk about it a little bit. Well, heaven or hell is inevitable. We have an eternity someplace, and that is inevitable, and we really should probably talk about it. Now, here's what happens. And I think the reason Americans don't talk about it much is this. We've got it pretty good. I mean, if you think about it, all the people listed in Hebrews 11, they had rough lives. They lived in an era where your longevity wasn't guaranteed. I mean, in America, most people lived into their 70s or 80s. I mean, that's just the average. Um, We have clean water. We have ample food, most people. We have nice places to live. Uh, We can be entertained 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Think about the different culture that the Hebrews 11 people grew up in. I mean, there's slavery, there's uh, plagues, uh, there is ill health. People died from lots of different things. They didn't understand water needing to be pure. They didn't understand things like germs. and, And so... Just for a second, think about what it would be like if you lived in a place right now. I, I, I visited Tanzania one time. People lived where I visited. Uh, the people in the villages lived in mud huts. They ate lots of corn because that was what was uh, available. Their diet wasn't great. Water supply wasn't great. Um, and that's by far not the, not the least, not the worst place you could live. What if your existence consisted of something other than being an American? All right, so if you don't have it so good in this life, the next life really looks good. And so, we're going to have to think differently. Now, here's what happens. The older you get, the longer you live, your body starts to deteriorate, things start to break, it starts, uh, you know, things start to not work the same way they used to. I got a call this week from an octogenarian. I mean, somebody that's in their 80s. I looked it up. Uh, and he wanted to know about heaven. He had questions. You, well, of course he does. He's 80 years old. He's getting close to being there. 
I got a call three weeks ago from a, a young woman. She has chosen not to be on dialysis, and her kidneys are failing. Guess what she wanted to talk about? She didn't care if the Cowboys won, or the Wildcats won, or the Gamecocks won. She wanted to talk about heaven because it was real to her. So, we're going to look at this like you care, and I think you probably do, at least in the recesses of your mind, you're thinking to yourself, someday I'm going to want to know about this. Okay? Well, someday, and today is a good someday. So let's talk about it just for a second. The details about this trip of a lifetime, about heaven, the first thing is that it is built by God, and it talks about it, Genesis 1. First book in the Bible, first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth, singular. And the history of heaven is connected to the history of God. God lives above the timeline of history, and He is the creator of all things. Now, there's, it's a little bit of confusion in Scripture because the word heaven is used different ways. And you're like, well, that's not good. Doesn't seem right. Well, okay, we do it too. Uh, think about the word love. Don't we use that in different ways? You love your dog and you love your wife, and it's probably not the same. You know, hopefully it's a different kind of love. You know, uh, you love pizza and you love your friends. Hopefully that's different. So we do it too. In Scripture, there are basically three ways that the word heaven is used. One is for the atmosphere, atmosphere around the earth. The Bible here says, let the birds fly above the earth across the vast expanse of the heavens, and that is the, the sky. The second way is in outer space. God set the sun and the moon in the expanse of the heavens that give light to the earth. The third way is what we're talking about, and that is the dwelling place of God. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. The first heaven you see by day, the second heaven you see by night, the third heaven you see by faith. Now there's this really odd couple of verses in 2 Corinthians. Again, Paul writes this letter. He wrote four letters to the Corinthians, two of which we have, two of which maybe either got combined or lost. We don't really know, but here's what we know. Paul writes these letters to Corinth, to this church in a town called Corinth, and he writes this, and it's odd. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That's the place, the dwelling place of God. You've heard the expression seventh heaven, never found in Scripture, by the way. That is a, something found in the Quran, not in the Bible. Um, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, that this man was caught up to paradise. So he uses the word paradise and the heaven, uh, third heaven, heaven interchangeably. And he heard inexpressible, inexpressible things that, uh, things that no one is permitted to tell. And there's this notion around this that heaven is so different it's nearly impossible to describe. Have you ever thought about meeting someone? Let's say you were on an exposi uh, exposition, exp that's the wrong word, exploration, what's, it? what's the word I'm looking for? Expedition, thank you. I did that to check if you're listening. Thank you, great, that's good. Expedition, you're in an expedition into the Amazon and you meet a tribe that has never met anybody before and you try to explain the internet to them. Have you ever thought about that? How would you do that? Where do you even start? 
Okay, so if heaven is so otherworldly than us, than what we know, how do you even start to describe it? In the book of Revelation, John uses this language. The streets are made of gold. And we're like, oh, that's magnificent. That just means gold means nothing to them. I mean, it's like gold is nothing for us. It's like, oh, gold, wow. So... There's this debate as to who Paul's talking about here. Most scholars believe Paul is talking about himself. They had, he basically had a near-death experience, and he saw heaven, but it was so great he didn't know how to explain it. And he calls it paradise. Paradise, the word is a Persian word. It means a beautiful garden. It's only used two other times in Scripture. Jesus uses them both times. One time... On the cross, uh, talking to the guy right next to him, the thief on the cross, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. In Revelation 2.7, Jesus says to a church, to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Paradise is a real place. It's a real place, just like heaven is a real place. We're going to capitalize the word heaven because it's a real place, just like uh, you know, Greenville is a real place, or Taylor's is a real place, or Greer is a real place. We're going to use it as a name of a place because it's a real place. And it's a great place. And Paul talks about, and we're going to look at this verse a little more in detail next week, but Paul says, now we know that if the earthly tent, he's talking about our bodies, he was a tent maker, so he kind of understands about tents, there, there's a, tents aren't the most secure place, just like our bodies, you know. Uh, I, 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 I preached this one time and a guy said, and they leak, you know. So yeah, so, uh, yeah tents aren't the most secure. Uh, if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an earthly house in heaven, not built by human hands. And you can imagine, if you're struggling, how much this would mean to you. Paul one time said, I would rather be in heaven than here, but because you need me here, I'm paraphrasing, because you need me here, I'm going to hang out here a little bit longer. We do everything we can to live longer. Paul said, I would much rather be with Christ in heaven. It's just a different way of thinking. And he was struggling. See, we, we have this notion that heaven, we're floating on a cloud, playing a harp, eating a Milky Way bar. I mean, it's just not that. So we're going to talk about what you do in heaven in a couple of weeks, but we, we get confused and we really don't need to. Remember, he just said they longed for a better country, they wanted a heavenly one, so God has prepared a city for them. So if I were to ask you, hey, close your eyes and think about the country. You'd have an idea around that. You, you, you can think about what the country looks like. Now, I grew up in Kentucky. The ter terrain was much like this, rolling hills. So when I think about the country, close my eyes, I think about rolling hills and horses in the field and tobacco growing in the fields, and then there's creeks and ponds. If you're from New Mexico, where I used to live, 
you close your eyes and you think about the country and you see in your mind's eye vast expanses of dirt and cacti and wildflowers. If you grew up on an island, you close your eyes and you think about the country, you'd think of the, the vast oceans around and, and how the island provides. And so, uh, you, you know what it feels like. And, and then he says it's like a city. And if you close your eyes and I say, okay, think about what a city is like. Well, you know what that's like. You know what a city's like. You've been to a city. I was in downtown Greenville last night. It's, it's a buzz with activity. People are everywhere. I was doing a wedding, I was conducting a wedding, I had a, a, a suit and tie on. I was getting the respect I deserve. I was strutting, I mean, I was like, I was singing Staying Alive in my mind. Staying Alive, ah, ah. I mean, I was getting it. Awesome. I like the city, but I don't want the city all the time. Um, you know what else I like? The country. Uh, He's, we get both. I, I mean, we get both. I think that's really, really cool. Here's what's really interesting to me. Never thought about it till this week. The Bible begins with the paradise, the Garden of Eden, and it ends with the paradise. It's as if paradise has been God's design for us all along. And so, he's created this place called paradise. And for those who follow him, who are his, we get to enjoy the blessings of paradise. Now, there's a currency. Anytime you go to a country, there's a currency. My wife is Swiss. When I married her, she had a Swiss bank account. It's one of the reasons I married her, uh, you know. Uh, then I found out she had like 50 uh, francs in there. It was like, a, what a jip. Uh, false advertising. But um, it worked out. It's been good. It's been okay. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, anyway. Um, but if you go to Switzerland, they won't let you use dollars. You have to convert. You have to convert dollars into um, francs, Swiss francs. Go to Germany, they use the mark. To go to uh, uh, Brazil, I think they use the real, I believe, is how that works. Now, uh, I, I mentioned Tanzania. When I went to Tanzania, uh, they'll take dollars. There's a currency. There's a way things work. And so, in the scheme of things, the Bible says that the currency of heaven is faith. And the verse there in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, um, the Bible has an interesting take on faith. We live by faith, not by sight. Now, we, we like to see things. We have an expression. Seeing is believing. Faith says believing is seeing. And if you're a cynic and if you're, um, if you're inclined toward cynicism, then it's hard to believe something you can't see. But you do all the time. You believe in love. You can't see it. You can see outward expressions of love, but you can't see love. You can sense it 
I was in this room last night doing this wedding, and this happens all the time when I do a wedding, and you just feel there's a vibe in the room. It's love. You know it. Not just the couple. Sometimes they're so young and stupid, you know. They, uh, but everybody there loves them. There's a lot of love going to them. We, we, you can't see electricity, but we all believe it. Can't see it. You don't want to see it. You don't want to feel it. But you do want to experience it. We're experiencing it now. So, we live by faith, not by sight. We can believe in something that we don't see. The saints of the Old Testament, in Hebrews 11... They saw heaven with the eyes of faith. They believed that this just can't be all there is. There's got to be more. One of the characters that they talk about in Hebrews 11 is a guy named Joseph. I mean, Joseph had some struggles. Everybody that uh, has ever had a struggle, Joseph is kind of your patron saint because... He had struggles. He had brothers who hated him so much they sold him into slavery. Can, can you even fathom that? Having siblings who despise you to the degree that they are willing to sell you into slavery? And then he goes and he's a, he's a success. And then he's falsely accused and he's thrown into prison. I mean, he had it rough. And there are people who are having it very difficult today. Maybe even in this room. And we look at heaven as a place of it's different. This just can't be all there is. There's got to be something else. We begin to see heaven with the eyes of faith. Now, there's a way to get there. If I'm going to go to a place, I usually try to figure out how to get there. I use a Waze app. Does anybody use Waze app on their phones? For real? Only two of you? Okay. What do you all use? Google Maps? Apple Maps? Weirdos? Okay, anyway. Uh, Waze is a great way. So you put in the address. So Elise plays volleyball far away. She had a game in York the other day. York! Uh, um, they make peppermint patties from what I understand. Anyway, um, I put in the address and I'm like, it's not even, it didn't help that I put in the wrong address. Uh, but it didn't take me to the right place, you know. But you have to know how to get there, right? And so, uh, is it an island? I can't drive then. I've got to take a plane or a boat. I mean, uh, how do I get there? Is, it, is there a road or do I hike in? So, heaven is a destination, and there's a way to get there. <laughs> there are a million jokes about heaven, and most of them have bad theology. I'm going to tell you one. Okay. There's a guy who shows up at heaven. St. Peter uh, asks him why he should let him in. None of that happens, by the way. St. Peter is not at the gates of heaven. Uh, St. Peter says, hey, why should I let you in? And the guy said, well, uh, I do nice things for people and I'm brave. And he goes, St. Peter goes, well, okay, give me an example. Well, he said, one time I was at this diner with my family and a group of gangbangers came in 
and they started roughing up everybody, and they were knocking everybody's food over, and they were causing a, a, a disturbance, and they were you know, flashing guns and knives, and they were cussing, and I had enough. And I went up to the leader, and I grabbed him by his leather jacket, because that's what thugs always wear. Uh, I grabbed him by his leather jacket, and I shook him, and I said, listen here, buddy. You and your gangbangers need to get out of here and leave these good people alone. Peter's like, that, that really is courageous and brave. When did that happen? The guy goes, well, about two minutes ago. <laughs> All right, so there's a way to heaven. Most people believe you have to be good enough. In fact, most religions teach if you're more good than bad, there's like a, there's like a resume or a, a spreadsheet. <laughs> you ever thought about it? God is on his computer in heaven uh, keeping track of when you're good and bad, maybe, uh, like, like Santa. You know, he's kind of keeping track. Jesus gives us the answer. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one. This is the most exclusive verse in the Bible. Exclusive verse, I'm sorry. The most exclusive verse in the Bible. It's inclusive as well. No one comes to the Father except through me. Everyone can come to the Father through me, is what he's basically saying. See, we have this notion that all paths lead to heaven. There's the Christian lane, and there's the Islam lane, and there's the Buddhism lane, and there's the crystals lane. And Jesus blows that up. Uh, let me go back to it, if I can figure out how to do it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, no one comes. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live in a society that is incredibly tolerant except for people who are intolerant. And yet Jesus says there's only one way. Enter through the narrow gate, he said, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You either believe Jesus or you don't. Jesus isn't one of the ways to heaven. He's not even the best way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. There's only one road in, and it's Jesus. There aren't many paths, there aren't many ways. You can't go around the corner, get there some from the back side. There's one way to get in, and it's Jesus. Now, the good news is about that, and that's our next point, our last point, is that the price of admission has already been paid. When you're about to take a trip, if you're an adult, you think through, okay, can I afford this? Can we afford this? So, this Christmas, Miriam and I have been working on uh, where, where we're going to spend Christmas with our kids. So, uh, we're going to rent maybe a cabin somewhere, and uh, all the kids are going to come to that, and we're going to hang out. And when I say Miriam and I have been working on this, I mean Miriam has been working on this. And she'll tell me, you know, Oh, look at this cabin. And I'm like, I don't care. Uh, internally, oh, she's not in here. Uh, I don't care. Uh, 
As long as we're together, I mean, it really doesn't matter to me. But, boy, she is pouring over it. Now, the place I think we're going to go at Christmas has a hot tub. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. I said, yes, hot tub. Then I said, what does that hot tub cost? Uh, because... You have to know if you can afford to go. I would like to go a lot of places that I can't afford. Uh, we went to Geneva one time. If you've ever been to Geneva, no, no, Zurich, no, Geneva. Geneva is one of the most expensive cities in the world. I mean, it is stupid expensive. Now, uh, Miriam is Swiss, uh, so... Uh, we have people over there. When we go to Switzerland, we stay with family, that kind of thing, most of the time. Um, we were on a day trip to Geneva. We walked into the restaurant. This is back when we had four kids with us. And so everything is expensive. And it's more expensive when you have four kids with you. And so we walked in. <laughs> it was like, it cost how much for a hamburger? It was... Tens of dollars. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, uh, like, like at McDonald's, it's 99 cents. There, it was, it was just a lot of money. And so I believe we all split a chicken sandwich. Because that's all we could afford. You talk about a waitress not liking you. Woo! She did not want to serve us because she knew that tip was, uh, you know, is not going to be good. And we tipped her great. Here's the deal. You don't go if you can't afford it. We didn't know any better. If I ever go back to Geneva, I'll eat before I go. Uh, you know, I'll know. <laughs> I'll pack a lunch. <laughs> That's what I'll do. <laughs> Heaven has been paid for. I heard a great illustration of this. It's like a, a man whose hearing begins to fail. He's getting older. His wife begins to notice. He's not hearing like he used to. He denies it. You know, men are like that. We don't want to admit our flaws. We don't want to admit our weaknesses. But eventually she talks him into going to an audiologist to get a checkup to see if perhaps he might need some assistance in hearing. The tests are run. The man does, in fact, need aids to hear. He's about talked into it, and then he asks how much it costs. And he is um, shocked at the expense. And he's like, no, 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 no. And the wife says, honey, get the very best hearing aids there are. I'll pay. Now, this puts him in a dilemma. And the dilemma is our dilemma. To accept the gift is to admit your weakness. To accept the gift of salvation is to admit I can't do it on my own. It is quite the admission that we have to make. I can't do it on my own. Now the price has been paid. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter. You know that in the past, the way you were living was useless, but 
You were saved from that way of living. You were bought, not with things that ruin like gold or silver. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ's death. He was a pure and perfect sacrificial lamb. Many hard-working Americans stumble over this because the idea that I have to accept something shows that I can't do it myself. Heaven's a free gift. It's, it is offered to every one of us in this room. It's funny about heaven. Golfers, if you ask heaven, what's, golf, what's heaven like? They'll say, oh, it's a great golf course and I can play all day long. Talk to fishermen, it depends on what kind of fishing they do, but if it's a deep sea fisherman, they think about a boat and they're out on the water, or they think about you know, uh, trout in a stream. If you ask a surfer uh, about what heaven's like, it's the perfect wave. If you ask a beachcomber what heaven is like, it's endless beaches, you in sandals and socks, and one of those things... Metal detectors. <laughs> Sandals and socks. Uh, that came to me from Jesus. Uh, Ernest Hemingway was a novelist and he lived a tortured life and eventually ended his own life. But he had ideas about heaven. In 1925, he wrote a letter to his friend F. Scott Fitzgerald and he said, To me, heaven would be a trout stream outside that no one else was allowed to fish in. And two lovely houses in the town. One where I would have my wife and kids, the other where I would have my nine mistresses. If your idea of heaven is just an extension of your greatest fantasies, you miss what heaven is really like. There's a book called Ecclesiastes, written by a guy named Solomon brilliant man and he said he and he's speaking of God God has made everything beautiful in its time God has also set eternity in the human heart it's always been a puzzle to me this verse but C.S. Lewis has a great explanation for this Lewis said if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world there's eternity in our hearts. We know there's something better than this. We know it intuitively. People try lots of ways to find the it. They're searching for it. They know there's a gap, there's a void. I never really uh, watched all of The Wizard of Oz. I would see bits and pieces. I know enough about the movie to know what it's about. And at the end, Dorothy clicks her heels and she says something. What does she say? There's no place like home. It's in the vernacular of Americans. There's no place like home. If you go on a trip and if you're gone long enough, eventually, no matter how great the place that you go might be, you start to say in your spirit, I wish I was home. I want to go home. There's no place like home. There really is no place like home. 
It's a place that God has created for us. It is bought and paid for. It is a gift ready to be accepted. We have the opportunity to simply say yes to a gift. A few years ago, God taught me a lesson about accepting gifts. I like to give gifts. Accepting gifts is harder for me. And, and then the Lord said, you're taking a blessing away from somebody if you won't be gracious in your acceptance of a gift. You are taking a blessing away from your Heavenly Father if you won't accept the gift He so wants to give you. Forgiveness, eternity with Him, all you have to do is ask and receive. Thank you, Father, for heaven, the promise, the magnificence. We ask that you would guide us, pull us to you if we're not quite yours yet. Lord, we love you. I pray that we would follow you closely, that we would shift our gaze from this world to the next so that we might get a glimpse of what awaits in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.